I'm Rodrigo Blankenship, and you're listening to the Savage Pads Podcast. Welcome to the Savage Pads Podcast, part of the UGASports.com podcast network. I'm your host, Doug Battle, and it's Mizzou Week again. We already did a Mizzou Week episode, so we're mixing it up here. I'm actually going to do part one of Best of Season 3, featuring several of my favorite interviews over the season. Uh, I know a lot of y'all listen to all of them, but I like revisiting them. And for those of you that did not or that that joined us later in the season, uh, it's an opportunity to hear some of the, the great Georgia Bulldogs of all time talk uh, Georgia football and kind of reflect on what's been a crazy year. Um, so we've got that, but we're still doing the pick six and extra point segments with Corey Amick where we will preview this week's games, including Georgia-Missouri. We've got a great episode coming up. Stay tuned. Practice every day. Man, oh man. Mono ain't mono. He, he definitely six hour reminds me and myself as close as we uh, have right now to rope on. When we scored, I honestly did not know where I was for about five seconds. Early on, you could see with Jake, you know, just like with Fran talking to him. Maybe one of the most underappreciated quarterbacks in the country. And we got to keep feeding the running back. I don't think we've yet to see the tight ends. I think Georgia does a great job bringing pressure on third down. Turn around two weeks later in the SEC championship, we look like a completely different team and we made them look like a completely different team. I mean, it's hard to get emotional thinking about it. And it was my job to kind of get outside the corner and uh, as soon as I let it go, I knew it was good. From that point on, I kind of began to trust the Eric Murray as my quarterback. The team was just special. I was famous. He was onside. Everybody respects the specs. That's what every Georgia fan should hinge their hopes on. Alabama and Georgia are the best two teams in the country. I feel like we are the true running back you. I have great confidence that we're going to see the personification of Georgia football. Welcome to the Savage Pants Podcast. All right, so here's how this is going to work. Um, I couldn't play all of the interviews, and it was very difficult to cut some of my favorite excerpts. So it's going to kind of jump to the middle of these interviews. But anyway, the first one we've got is... Rodrigo Blankenship, the legend himself. One of my favorite things about the call with Rod um, was this was right after his first game in the NFL. So this was early in the season. I think now it'd probably be a lot harder to get a hold of him. Um, But Rod would not get off the phone. Like he just wanted to talk. And it was like he just loves dog fans so much. And he enjoyed talking to to anybody that uh, that loves the Georgia Bulldogs and, and talking about his time in Athens. So such a pleasant guy, um, every bit as endearing and kind as, as he's always seemed, and he's an absolute legend, so I hope you guys enjoy this one. And you mentioned that kicking competition in Indianapolis. Word on the street is that the night before roster cuts were made, uh, you played with Legos to relax a little bit. Is this part of your routine in preparing for nerve-wracking situations? <laughs> um uh not not yet um <laughs> it, it was just um you know it was just something that i that i did to try and just you know kind of take my mind off of things um yeah. you know after after that last day of of the competition you know um you know we were just waiting for for that day to come and you know i was just kind of waiting to receive some news one way or another there wasn't really a whole lot else to do except just kind of wait and so you know i i at that point, I had done everything that I could up to that point to try and make a case for for myself, and mm-hmm. and so there was, um, you know, there was no point in in worrying about it at that point. Um, 
So I just wanted to do something, anything to try and take my mind off of it and, you know, just have somewhere to somewhere to go with my mind and my thoughts. And so I just decided, you know, might as well, you know, build a, build build some Lego sets or whatever, just have something to take my mind off of it and, you know, just kind of be at peace and, and just have something to do to relax. So, yeah, so that was, yeah. that was, that was what I did. Um, it isn't, uh, it isn't part of, part of any routine as of now. Okay. Um, but you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, an outlet or an avenue that, um, that I have, um, you know, if, if I, if I needed it, so just something to kind of take my mind off it and, and to go to a happy place and, you know, I could do that. Yeah. So, so what Lego sets take you to a happy place? What are, what are some of your favorites? Um, and what were you working on ahead of that roster cut day? Um, yeah. So a lot of the, a lot of the, the stuff that I have collected over the years, um, cause I, I started collecting when I was a little kid, wow. I think back in like 2006 or 2007, you know, so it's, it's been, I've, you know, I've, I've liked them and, and have built them and collected them for a very long time. And yeah. most of it is, um, star Wars stuff. Oh, um, yeah. I'm, I'm a pretty Heck big yeah. star Wars guy along with Marvel and transformers. You know, I'm, I'm a really kind of a, you know, geeky in, in that regard, you know, liking a lot of that kind of like sci-fi stuff. Um, and so a lot of them are, are Star Wars sets, but um, a lot of the, the Star Wars sets that are available right now are um, bigger sets. And, and I didn't want to do that because at the time I was still at the, you know, at a hotel and I wasn't really going to have a, a good place to put it or right. or be able to transport it easily when, when, you know, eventually I had to get out of the hotel. So um, I got a, a Ferrari, a little Ferrari buildable car um, that was, I think, maybe like 250 pieces or something like that. It was like 20, 20 or $25 or something like that. Just something okay. like much smaller and much more, much more manageable. Um, so, so yeah, so that was, that was uh, the, the one that I was working on the night before. That is very interesting. So some players get drafted and buy a Ferrari. Um, Rodrigo makes the team and gets a Ferrari Lego set. <laughs> Have you ever had other players, even at Georgia, maybe that shared your interest in in Legos or that you enjoyed that with? Um, I don't, I don't, I can't think of any any teammates off the top of my head that were into Legos specifically. Mm-hmm. But I do know that um, Kamarda, Jay Kamarda, punter, that was my uh, my roommate for games the last two two years when I was there, yeah. is also a pretty big Star Wars guy. So. Okay. Um, so, so we have that in common, at least, you know, at least on the Star Wars side of things. Um, he is a pretty big Star Wars guy himself. And so we have a lot of fun, uh, you know, fanboying about, um, you know, all the Star Wars stuff going on, the movies, TV shows and all that stuff. Like any legend, it's hard to differentiate between myth and truth when, when you hear about Rodrigo Blankenship. So I need you to clear the air on something. Legend has it you chose to walk on at Georgia instead of taking a scholarship from Georgia's rival Florida. Is that true? Uh yeah. Wow. Um there was a there was a there was a lot of, you know, coaching turnover at the end of um my senior season. Um, you know, and, and that happens every year. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's some coaching turnover. Um you know, among among all the, you know, pretty much every conference, you know, there's there's some coaching turnover everywhere, um, and so I I did um, I did get get offered very 
late in the recruiting process after I had already committed to Georgia. And, um, you know, even when I got it, my, my heart and my mind had already been set on coming to UGA. And, um, and so the decision just became, you know, pretty clear, pretty quickly that I wanted to, to stick it out with UGA and, um, you know, and, and really it was, it was more for education than anything. I've always tried to preach that, you know, you go to college to get an education. Mm-hmm. Um, and so throughout the entire recruiting process, education was always the number one priority for me. Um, and, you know, so even after that, you know, I felt like Georgia was the best opportunity for me as far as an education was concerned. Um, and so that, that really helped to, to make the decision clear as to how to proceed. I'll be a doubt till I die. Till I die. Till I die. All right, so for those of you that want to listen to the rest of the Rod episode, uh, that was our second episode this year. The first one was Mark Schleyball, I believe, but you can go back on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, whichever you listen on, or Stitcher or whatever other podcast uh, platform you use, and listen to that one. But we are moving on in the season to Auburn Week, which was a week when everyone was stressed out. Um, and it was a weird week because it's the first time Georgia was playing Auburn earlier early in the season, at least in a long time. So there was no one better to speak to than Vince Dooley, uh, who played quarterback at Auburn and then, of course, went on to win a national championship as a head coach at Georgia. Vince and I mostly spoke about the nature of the rivalry and uh, kind of the contrast between he and Pat Dye, who, who recently passed or had recently passed at the time. Um, but Vince, as always, was an absolute gentleman, absolute pleasure to speak with, and he shared some great stuff with dog fans. When Coach Die was coach at Auburn, uh, they pulled off a few against you all. Was there ever a moment, I know that you played a pretty big part in Pat Dye being hired as head coach at Auburn. Was there ever a moment when you regretted directing your own competition at Auburn in, in the direction of a head coach who would bring your rival school four conference titles as well as a couple wins against Georgia? Well, I knew that he was going to be a great rival, but you do have uh, uh, some loyalty to your alma mater. Right. And uh, so I felt like that that since I was offered the job and had turned it down, that uh, I felt like that the great – the best uh, opportunity for Auburn was uh, was Coach Dye, who I felt like would have been a great fit there, mm-hmm. and he definitely was, and has established himself as uh, a being an Auburn man, even though his alma mater is uh, is Georgia. Right, and uh, we um, we certainly uh, will miss uh, Pat already. Yes, uh, he and I became. Uh, uh, while we were competitors, uh, we respected each other uh, as competitors. But we also, when we both retired from coaching, we both had a great interest in trees and particularly Japanese maples. So I visited his garden on two or three occasions, and he came to Athens and uh, visited mine. I gave him a tour. So uh, we were always we didn't talk a lot of football at that time we were talking more <laughs> japanese maples than anything else right uh, so anyway he was uh he had a great run uh, at auburn and uh he uh was a tough competitor and a good friend and uh, we shared this uh this uh, passion together about japanese maples and uh so we'll all miss him and god bless him absolutely 
Um, absolutely. And you, you kind of referred to this, but I mean, you and Pat Dye really kind of had the opposite career. You played at Auburn, he played at Georgia, and then you coached at each other's schools. Uh, but it wasn't always set to be that way. In 1980, when Georgia was uh, preparing to face Notre Dame in the Sugar Bowl, the Auburn Tigers came calling to bring you home as head coach to your alma mater. So you had to face the decision of continuing to lead what was an undefeated team, depending on you and its quest for a title. And then you've got your alma mater offering you what's probably a dream job, really, for any coach that is the opportunity to, to take over as head coach at your alma mater. How difficult was it for you to choose between those two options? Well, there was a lot of pull. Um my wife, Barbara, of course, she, she's an Auburn graduate as well. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of friends. In fact, the governor of the state was my roommate, a fellow named Bob James. And uh, so he was a part of the recruiting uh, to, for me to come back. But uh, in the final analysis, I had just been at Georgia too long. I had been there 17 years. I had all of these teams that I coached, all of these players, and then all of my family, all the children were Georgia fans. They all grew up. They all went to the University of Georgia. And uh, so my roots were more recent and deeper uh, at Georgia than they had been at Auburn. And so I guess it just was a difficult decision, but it was best for me and for my family uh, to stay where I was and uh, I, uh, but I'll always, uh, in that respect, have two loves. I guess you love for your alma mater, and love for the one that you really committed yourself to, uh, which I did for forty years at the University of Georgia. Yes, sir. Well, I know I uh, <laughs> speak for all of Dog Nation when I say that. Uh, Folks are, are very pleased that you did decide to stick around at Georgia as head coach and later athletic director. You've represented uh, Georgia well, and I don't know, you've kind of bridged this rivalry so well between Georgia and Auburn. It's it's really incredible to see. But, Coach, I know you've got a lot going on over there, and I want to be considerate of your time. So I just want to thank you again for taking a moment of your time to, to join us here on the podcast. Well, I enjoyed it, and it'll be a great game, that's for sure. And we'll find out a lot about our teams here uh, come Saturday night late. And uh, go dogs. All right. Next up for Alabama week, uh, Billy Bennett was one of our guests. We had a few guests that week. That was a big week for the show. Big week for uh, Georgia football fans in anticipation of, of that matchup. I loved having Billy on the show because he was a walk-on at Georgia. His last name's Bennett. And he led Georgia to a win in Brian Denny Stadium. So it felt like maybe there's some Bennett magic. Unfortunately, there was not um, come game time. But Billy talked about that kick. He also talked about his very unique experiences that he had after his football career. So Billy actually went on the road with MGMT, um, acted in a movie alongside Matthew McConaughey, and invented his own musical instrument, put out his own album not too long ago uh singer songwriter music producer now professor just an all-around guy um and, and one of the nicest and kindest former players i've ever had the pleasure of speaking with i don't feel like dog fans got to know billy as well as they should over the years 
Uh, so I really enjoyed speaking with Billy about his time at Georgia, beating Alabama, getting to be the hero, and also <laughs> touring with MGMT and acting alongside Matthew McConaughey and We Are Marshall. Well, wow, that you've had quite the unique story. I talked to a, quite a few players and have yet to have Anyone in the recording business, I guess Sony Michelle, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with his rap music. Uh, he, he made some rap music and oh, no is way. C- connected with... Oh, check uh, that out. Why have I not checked that out? Yeah. Yeah. He made... While well, he was a Dude. student, he was making stuff. Um, I actually was fortunate enough to, to do one song with him in my studio. No way. Um, yeah, but he he's connected with Quavo. Fly guy connect- two stacks. Yeah, you're looking at it now. <laughs> uh, that's him. Yes. Um, yeah, but yes. MGMT, that's that's crazy. So you did the MGMT thing. Also, uh, I guess another unique experience you've had is you got to act alongside Matthew McConaughey uh, on the big screen. Yeah. So can, yeah, can you walk, walk our listeners through how you became Marshall's, <clears throat> Marshall's kicker in the feature film We Are Marshall? Yeah, that was a crazy experience. So that was kind of in my post-college whatever floating around phase that's kind you know of how I'm there a right lot of now, people so get stuck in Athens <laughs> yeah you know, for their fifth fifth and sixth senior years right. um so I was literally in bed one day and I got a uh, a call a text from my brother Jason saying uh you know they're having tryouts in Atlanta for some movie blah 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 and I was like okay like I'm rolled back over and went to sleep and uh and then my sister called me I was like, you got to go up to Atlanta. It's like a, it's a football movie and they need football players. And I was like, all right, all right. So I went up there to this hotel. There's like a thousand people that showed up and it's all like high school players and, and some former college, like small school players, but it was kind of a funky mix because it wasn't any big time college players because you were going to get paid to do it. So that would make them ineligible and it was also not any high school players who had college prospects for the same reason. So it was like everyone who wasn't good enough to make it to the college level uh, or people like me who just finished but didn't have anything else going on. Um, so, you know, for whatever reason, I happened to be – well, not for whatever reason. I just was the, the best kicker there, obviously. So they, um, did they do a tryout? Like they just yeah. wanted to pick the best so kicker? First, you kind of just handed them your paper and, and signed up. And then they said, now, look, you guys with long hair, you know, this is the 70s. So if you got long hair, we want to keep it long. And I was like, all right, check. And he yeah. was like, and there were uh, at this time only four or five black players on the team. So, you know, <laughs> our numbers are limited there. We can only take so many. Uh, you know, African American players, and I was like, "All right, I'm I'm good there." Yeah, which uh, is like the opposite now. Right, right. And uh, and then they said the average weight was 185 pounds, so all you big guys are out. And I was like, "Well, this is great, you know." And I've got like <laughs> far more experience than anyone in this parking lot. Yeah, you know? and I'm like a record-setting uh, kicker too. That helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, so you know, and then we did the physical tryouts, and I, and I made and I you know passed that fine. And there was another punter there actually. I think he went to uh, some Ivy League school. It was a real nice guy, and we got along great. But but yeah. So the next thing I know, you know, they give us a schedule. We get on a bus and drive up to uh, Virginia, West Virginia, where Marshall is, 
And, uh, you know, we film a scene. The first scene we filmed was with McConaughey at the actual burial site of six unidentified players from the crash. So it was like really heavy. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and just a, a beautiful thing to get to be a part of, you know, we got to watch his process, how he would do a take and then he'd do another take a little bit different and he would kind of play with the play with his lines and kind of really, you really got to see his kind of skills and actor and just how seriously he took the whole thing, you know, um, it was really cool to see that. And then, you know, we, there was one night where we were getting on the elevator to go to our hotel room and he got on the elevator too. And we, it was just like, someone said like one funny comment, but it was, everyone oh, was just like super quiet around him. You know, we're just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, this guy is like so cool. Yeah. Um, and I, I, you know, I could feel for the guy because it's literally everywhere he went, you know, you could just feel when he was on set because all eyes were on him. You yeah. Know, uh, Everyone just changes. A, yeah. A commanding uh-huh. kind of charismatic presence. Um, so, you know, in some ways people, uh, envy the guy, but, but I certainly don't. I mean, it's, it's a, um, it's a blessing and a curse being, being that right. talented, that good looking on and on, you know, it's, uh, I definitely f- can feel for people in that situation. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you were perfect for that role because you are, <laughs> or I guess you were just coming out of being a college kicker. So I guess yeah. as an act, as an actor, it's easy to play something that you just are. Um, yeah, and I want to, right. So I want to talk for a moment about your career as a college kicker and specifically that game winner against Alabama uh, in 2002, it's Georgia Alabama week. Everybody's getting excited, thinking through, you know, what's what's going to happen this week, and it's just so nice to look back on a time when when we beat Alabama. So, can you walk <laughs> our listeners through uh, that that high stress situation and how you confidently hit the kick that would that would lead to Georgia's first win in Bryant Denny Stadium ever? Yeah, um, I believe that was uh, there was a big controversy at the time um because i believe that was that the pat die game pat die had said something uh about georgia being man enough or not to beat um to beat alabama yeah yeah so pat die who was a former i guess he was a former uh bulldog but also like had coached at auburn Auburn. Mm -hmm. um he said some stuff about Georgia not being man enough to go down to Alabama and and beat Alabama in Alabama. Uh, And I believe it was the first time that game was the first time we'd ever ended up ever beating Alabama at Alabama. Um, But yeah, Alabama wasn't the same team they are now, (laughs) not to take anything away from us, but, um, but they were, I think it looks, looks like they were number 22 at the time, but um but yeah, it was, uh, so there was a big, the, the gauntlet had been laid down, you know, we were just like this, this, this old guy doesn't know he's not suiting up. He doesn't know what it's all about. So, um, so, you know, we went down there, it was a tough game. It was hot as hell that day. It's, it's one of the things people always recount. Uh, I don't remember cause I was in pads and, and was sweaty already. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I could tell on that drive, there was less than a minute to go and we were driving and we were down by uh down by two i think or one and um 
and you know you could tell the offense kind of just took their foot off the gas like once we got in field goal range they weren't like passing anymore they were just kind of running up the middle and like kind of falling down they were in field goal mode yeah and i was like this is (laughs) is coming down to me yeah and um and you know the camera was right there by the kicking net and i just remember like making faces into the camera because it was just like it was like my moment i was so cocky (laughs) and and i think uh it was just like the the stuff you live for, you know, it's like, it's coming yeah. down to me and I can win the game and I know I can do this. I've done it a thousand times. And, uh, so yeah, I went out to kick it and, um, they call a timeout, of course. And the thing I always do in those situations is I get off the field and I do my regular routine coming back on. So I left the field and kicked a few balls into the net. And then when they called me back out, I went out as usual I think a lot of kickers just stand out there and get that huge lump in their throat while they stare <laughs> down the goalposts, you know. Right. And I think that's just like such a huge mistake. Um, so, yeah, I went back out there, snap and hold were great, and and we just knocked it through. Um, so that was that was an amazing day, and I'm so proud to have just been able to be a part of that and, and, and be a part of such a great team, kind of getting Georgia back into the national picture, you know. Next up, we have John Stinchcomb. Uh, Those of you that have followed the show for a while know that Matt Stinchcomb came on the show in its inaugural season for the the Texas Sugar Bowl game. Uh, Matt did his his Kirby Smart impression, which was all-time, and that was actually on the Best of Season 1 episode, uh, if you go back. But Matt was so smart and so well-spoken and I'll, I'll say this about the Stinchcomb brothers just speaking with them I've become envious of their gifts with words and with people um, in, in addition to their athletic gifts their physical abilities these guys are I, I think if they had a podcast together it would be the football podcast to listen to and nobody would listen to this podcast anymore and I wouldn't even be mad because I'd be so happy to listen to it so without further ado uh, here's here's a piece of my interview with John Stinchcomb. I've been really encouraged to see what Munkin's plan has been for James Cook. Uh, he's yeah. a talented guy that we just haven't seen kind of live up to that uh, electric, in-space, playmaking ability um, that you picture him to have. Uh, and Munkin, I feel like he's brought, you know, you watch NFL games and they create a, a certain set of plays for particular players. And I think he's got a pretty clear vision of what he wants to do with James Cook um, to attack a defense. And, and they, there are certain coordinators across the board that uh, view players as like pieces. Like this is a guy with his skill set. I can attack in this way. They're playing chess with some other guys are playing checkers, so to speak. So I'm excited about that kind of stuff. Now, I'm just looking at the the way the run game played out. Yes, the the first the first half obviously was uh, run heavy, and we certainly did get away with it or get away from it in the second half. And mm-hmm. um, you know, when you lose a game like that, you start to second guess everything. And I, I'm with you. I think Georgia to to be successful to put Stetson or whoever that quarterback might be. Uh, in a position to succeed, we have to um, incorporate. I don't know if 
make primary, but certainly not abandon the run. Uh, we're just too effective of a, a rush offense this year to say, well, well, we, we'd rather, we feel more confident in our ability to attack a defense by putting the ball in our quarterback's hands more than we do our running backs. I just don't think that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, uh, and you're, I guess, looking back on these games in retrospect, there's always criticisms. I know in previous years, the criticism for Georgia-Alabama has been that Georgia has gotten a lead and taken their foot off the gas. Um, and now we're hearing fans clamor for us <laughs> to just, ru- just run the ball in the second half. Oh, if we had just run it every play, we probably would have won the game. So. We just want to win. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care how. Right? Yeah. So uh, I think at this point, I don't know. There, there, there were a lot of encouraging things about that game. Todd Munkin, I, I personally like what he's done on offense. I do think the balance maybe was lost some in the second half. Um, but it is nice to see us effectively run the ball and have some guys wide open all over the field, whether Stetson hit him or not, uh, we're putting him in a position to succeed. Um, and it's one of those things. I think if he has a better game down the road, that kind of game, it could go very differently. Uh, but something we haven't discussed that's been really instrumental in giving Stetson time and opening up the run lanes for those running backs that were having success on Saturday is that Georgia offensive line. Now, this is a unit that early in the season uh, maybe disappointed some people in week one against Arkansas. We weren't seeing open lanes. We were seeing guys get stuffed at the line of scrimmage. Of course, we've come to find out that Arkansas may be a better team than than we suspected at that time. Um, but this Georgia offensive line, it's, it's kind of been up and down. We had that game. They looked phenomenal against Auburn. Uh, Tennessee may have been a bit of a step back. And I personally was encouraged by Alabama overall given that they had a short preseason and are kind of starting to gel as a unit, what are your thoughts on this line and their upside moving forward in the season? I've been encouraged by their play. It's hard to replace that many guys across Mm -hmm. the board. And I think it's unrealistic to expect them to come in week one and not miss a beat. I, I think if we were being realistic before week one, we would have said, there's going to be some time that we have to give this offensive group to gel and mold. And mm-hmm. um, specifically with this offensive line, you look at the two tackles, you lost two first rounders. Who, how many mm-hmm. guys, how many teams across the league can replace two first rounders at tackle and, and not have any drop off? No one, right? So there is going to be an adjustment there. And uh, with so many changes, new coordinator, new quarterback, new running back, new support staff as wide receivers, that affects everyone. And the offensive line is no different. So I I have really been encouraged. Jamari Salyer has stepped in at left tackle, replaced a top five left tackle um, in Andrew Thomas and um, has done an incredible job. You you look at the rest of these guys, the interior has been solid. Honestly, if, if I have one concern that's persistent, it's the snaps from Trey Hill and mm-hmm. he's the one returning starter that mm-hmm. uh, you had to feel really good about. And he's on the Remington list and all these other accolades. But yet if a center can't snap the ball cleanly to a quarterback, which has reared its ugly head a couple times, you can't, you don't have a play. So that's one issue that in my mind is it's not an easy fix. Um, it should be an afterthought, right? As, as a fan, you want to watch the game and, 
not even care or notice how that ball is snapped to the quarterback. But there have been a number of games where it very much has affected the outcome uh, or at least the series and the flow and momentum of a game. So um, as a group, I, I think this group has, has done really well. I think they've exceeded my expectations in the uh, arc of what you'd expect an offensive line. One that it comes in really talented. I mean, I commend Coach Pittman and, and Coach Smart mm-hmm. for the ability to get so many high-quality guys. Uh, offensive line is not an easy position to just plug-and-play guys. You have to have a high level of talent, and they've been able to keep that. So there are still four- and five-star uh, recruits that ha- we haven't even seen yet this season, but uh, I'm sure are getting better and you're looking forward to the time that they get their number called. So um, I think the reason why we can keep our expectations so high is that uh, there's a talent pool in that position room uh, that really demands uh, a level of expectation that exceeds many other schools. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, John, I, kn- I know you're on a tight schedule over there and I want to be considerate of your time. So this will be my last question for you. Um, and that is this. We've discussed the running back position, the quarterback. Uh, you touched on some improvement at receiver outside of George Pickens and the offensive line. These have all been positives, And yet there's still the sentiment that Georgia is not there. Georgia is not what they can be or what they want to be. What, in your opinion, has to change in order for Georgia to finally get over the hump that is Alabama and reemerge as a playoff team? Right, and and I'm excited about Georgia's offense getting better. I don't think we have – I don't think we're quite there to be able to say we could have an offense that would be comparable on a sheet of paper with Alabama. I just don't think right. we're there yet. Yeah. Um, their three wide receivers are NFL caliber, you know, arguable, mm-hmm. arguably the one, two, three uh, receivers that you'd pull off the board in April for the NFL draft. So yeah. that's, that's tough to, tough to compete against, not to mention their offensive line, their blitz pickup against Georgia was exceptional. I mean, that's, tape that coaches will be reviewing in this off season where you're gathering some because man what an incredible job they did georgia was mm-hmm. throwing the kitchen sink at them mm-hmm. and they were able to answer so you've got elite wide receivers an offensive line that uh i'd be hard pressed to say is anything but the best in the country and a running back who's a stud so uh <laughs> you know you put all those pieces together uh, I don't think Georgia has um, has the opportunity to match, if you will, this Alabama offense this year. Now, here's the good news. I don't think they have to. I don't think they have to compete. They just have to be better offensively, more efficient than what they were last Saturday. So um, that I think Georgia is capable of. I think there is still much uh, much more improvement left. There's There's still – plenty of space above where this offensive is current is currently operating um, for them to see during this season. You're not going to change your personnel very much at this point. There's no secret receiver in the, in that room. That's going <laughs> to say, man, he's a game breaker. We, we couldn't wait to have him. Um, you know, there's still some intrigue at this quarterback position, but ultimately, um, 
you know, I, I think this Georgia offense is capable of more than what we've seen. I think we will see an, a, a continued improvement. There's probably, it's not going to be linear, but uh, it, by the end of this season, you'll say, man, they're, they're operating much better, more efficient than what we've uh, experienced in this first quarter and a half of football, um, which is a good thing. I'm excited to see where it goes. And last but not least for this episode, my good friend, Brooke Whitmire. Brooke is the voice of Sanford Stadium and has been for 20-something years. Uh, but more than that, Brooke is really the voice of reason. I go to Brooke when I'm down and had the uh, fortune of speaking with Brooke after the Florida game when Dog Nation was licking their wounds still this year, feeling like it was a lost season, feeling like all is lost. I know the Debbie Downer dogs were really uh, vocal <laughs> in that time. And Brooke talks some sense in him. He really is He's the voice of Sanford Stadium, but he's the voice of reason. He's also a good friend of mine, someone who I look up to and someone who I consider one of the uh, one of the great dogs of all time and, and absolutely knows what it means to be a true Georgia Bulldog. So this episode was all about perspective and and Brooke and the way that he always does conveyed his thoughts on the dogs through a lens of realism. Uh, but also through a lens of perspective and, and seeing the big picture in Georgia football. He's a diehard dog, dog till he dies. And hope you guys enjoy our third episode with Brooke. Yeah, so in the meantime, Georgia's got games coming up with uh, Mississippi State, South Carolina, uh, Missouri, and Vanderbilt, not in that order or who knows the order, honestly, with with the way COVID's going. Maybe it will be that order. Maybe we won't play all those games. Uh, But that's four games. I mean, that's 40% of this regular season that most fans, or I guess many fans, have kind of dismissed. Um, And for good reason, as far as the national championship uh, hopes are concerned, it does seem as though that is out of reach and that it would take some kind of miracle for Georgia to be back in the mix from that standpoint. What do you have to say about the value of those games, um, regardless of of national championship hopes, but maybe even for hopes going into next year and for these young players, de- the development of this team? What What do you think Georgia can gain from their games against Mississippi State, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Missouri? Doug, it's a great question. I will tell you that the, the first thing that comes to my mind is that the University of Georgia is playing a football game, and we need to win it. It doesn't matter who we're playing and when we're playing. I mean, that's the bottom line. <laughs> we need to go win. But I do think you raise a good point. And a lot of times this is perception, and a lot of times it's just it's just reality. But when you play games where the other guy has quote unquote more to gain from it than you do, if nothing else, psychologically, it's difficult. And just being straight up honest. I mean, it is a, everybody expects us to just go out and win those four games and and hopefully we will one at a time. But the first thing we need to do is maintain. I mean, you quote unquote beat the teams you're supposed to beat, which I think that's, that Mm -hmm. can be a misleading notion from the get go a lot of times, but you need to win right. every game you play is what we all are trying to do. And you need to keep momentum up with recruiting. And and frankly, you need to, gosh, 
when things are not going your way and you don't mail it in, that's a sign of a true Georgia team. I mean, we can't quit. We can't give up and we can't push the panic button. I mean, Doug, I looked up there in the fourth quarter. I'm sure you were the same way. As ugly as that game felt against Florida and as ugly as it was, it was winnable. Oh my God. It was winnable in the fourth. It was winnable with five minutes left in the game. It's yeah, crazy. yeah. I was, I know, and I know you well enough to know you and I were saying the same things because the people I was with and the people I was talking to were like, "Oh, this game's over." You know, the season's a wash. And I was sitting there going, two possessions. We have the yep. ball. If we score two touchdowns, we win the game. We're down thirteen right now, and and so yeah, I, I'm like you. Uh, <laughs> I was seeing seeing some hope there. Well, and that's just one of those things too, Doug. It, it all is an attitude, and you look back over these games. We went out and we played Arkansas. Sam Pittman mm-hmm. should be the runaway coach of the year in college football. Oh, yeah. They're an excellent yep. football team. And it mm-hmm. was a great effort to win that game 37-10. to 10. We beat an Auburn team badly. Could have beaten them worse. We, we put 44 up on Tennessee. And again, it's what we're supposed to do. The Alabama game, late into the third quarter, is anybody's ball game. The Florida game, mm-hmm. there's nine plays that we could take any any one or two of, and that changes everything. So it's just, it really is all in how you look at it. But I think what, what I hope dog fans will remember, you know, we all got to be in this together and you can't, the team has to tune out a lot of noise, Doug, and every good team does that. But at the same time, they hear the noise and they want to know, I'll never forget. It was 1999. I believe we were playing Auburn at home and we were struggling. And at halftime, our team basically got booed off the field and it was one of the worst moments I've seen in Sanford stadium. And it had an effect uh, on things, had an effect uh, on the, on a whole lot of prospects that were there deciding whether or not they wanted to stay in state or, or go across the border and try to beat us. And so everything matters when you're trying to be a championship team, everything matters. And so we've got to look at it positively. We've got to look at it with, with great hope. And, and again, you know, Hey gosh, if you go eight and two with this schedule and go in a bowl game, and get this nutso season behind us, that's not the end of the world. And um, we yeah. gotta, we got to keep our eyes on the ball in that regard. All right. And now it is time for our pick six segment with Corey Amick. Corey, it might be a uh, maybe a pick three here this week. We've already had, by the time we're recording this, we've already had so many games canceled. I'm disappointed because being able to see what you retroactively picked I could already have made up a few points if I would have just sent in the opposite a few days ago. <laughs> well, I will say I did pick the Michigan Ohio State game to not happen. Um, that one was just a no brainer to me with <laughs> the position Michigan's in. Um, so we lost that game. We lost Cincinnati Tulsa. We lost Ole Miss Texas A and M. Yeah, it's gonna be a uh, gonna be a field goal type of type of day today. Yeah, it's a field goal and then an extra point, which doesn't make sense, but uh, that's nothing <laughs> makes sense in 2020. So here we are. Okay, first one, number 16, Wisconsin at number 19, Iowa. I'm saying this game does happen. Um, I don't keep up with either one of these teams very much. I do know that every time I've seen Wisconsin, I've thought to myself, wow, that's a very boring football team to watch. They're like a poor man's Georgia. I'm picking Iowa just because of that. That's <laughs> That's a pretty good way to describe them. Uh, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go strictly off names of the my favorite names from each roster for this week. Just to yes. hopefully that can get me get me back in the game as we run out of time this season. So 
we have Wisconsin and Iowa. Uh, for Iowa, we have backup offensive lineman Coy Cronk, which sounds like he should be in whatever that TV show or series was with the uh, like the llama and like pull the lever, Cronk. Emperor's new group. Yeah, yeah, that was my first thought. Coy so, Cronk, and then. Uh, I guess it would be a second time reoccurring uh, name on the show for Wisconsin back quarterback Chase Wolf. And I just, I can't get away from Chase Wolf. I feel like this name, maybe this is a game where he has to come in and he finally gets his chance, but I'm going to go with Chase Wolf and take Wisconsin in this game. All right. Uh, next one. Oh, and, and I'm assuming you're saying the game does happen. Yeah, yeah game happens. Okay. Next one, we got number 17, UNC, playing on the road at number 10. Miami with the Eric King. I'm saying the game does happen. I'm taking UNC. I like Sam Howell. I don't like Miami at number 10. Like they're getting dangerously close to being elite. And Miami, if we know anything about them, they like to get up there and get everyone all excited and then lose like five games. Um, so we don't have five games left, but with the games we do have left, it's it's very difficult to pick them. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you on the Miami like hype train. If you look at their schedule, like their their best win is against Louisville. <laughs> and like Louisville's played I think they've only played like they've had a couple games canceled this year and they haven't really played mm-hmm. a lot. But other than that, it's like they've beaten all the teams they should beat. But right. like their most recent game, other than, you know, blowing out Duke was when they played Virginia Tech back in mid-November, and they only won by a point. So right. I, uh, I'm definitely skeptical on Miami, but since I'm going with you know strictly names, uh, UNC would definitely have the name of the week if this guy was playing defensive back Storm Duck, which is oh, just an all-time great all football time. name. <laughs> um, however, with him out, this opens the door for Miami's receiver D. Wiggins, not to be confused with former Clemson star T. Higgins. It's like I know this. I know this guy was obviously named like eighteen, nineteen years ago. But it's just so funny when you see a guy like T Higgins come out of Clemson, and then there's some other guy, another ACC school named D Wiggins. (laughs) Yeah, you kind of wonder if it's if it's actually T Higgins, and they just changed his name slightly to see if anyone would notice, and they like paid him off to come play for them. And also, uh, Christmas season, it's also Elf on the Shelf season. You've heard of T Higgins. Have you heard of D. Wiggins? Um, speaking of oh. names, by the way, Corey, Georgia's got a commit from a new defensive back, Nyland Green. I feel like I feel like that name just goes well with UGA with us wearing red. And it's like Nyland always has the green light to just light it up. And so we're just gonna exactly. roll with like the, the classic red and green, the red and green clash. Um definitely talked about him. And then I'm going to pick Miami in this game. I'm going to say the game happens. I'm going to go with Miami because okay. of the next two names, which are Al Blades Jr., which just sounds like he should have, like, a huge neck roll and, like, just knock someone yes. out over the middle. Yeah. And then backup safety, Bubba Bolden, which is just a good name. It's it's kind of upsetting how many of these players are backups. Um, <laughs> it's like if you have a player whose name is that good, you've – you kind of got to start him. Like it's major burns at Georgia. It's just a matter of time before he's a starter. Cause like you don't have that kind of name and don't start. It's like smoke Monday at Auburn. Every time I watch him, he's horrible, but <laughs> Auburn fans love him. Cause they're like, Oh, smoke Monday. But, exactly. um, okay. This is, <laughs> I'm looking at our list and it's like, they're all canceled. 
This is our last game. Number 22, Washington. Uh, post Jacob Eason, Washington. At number 23, Oregon. Post Justin Herbert, Oregon. I'm saying it does happen. Um, and I'm going with the Ducks purely based off the fact that they have a better mascot. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue against that one. Um, I actually, I like this game a lot. I think it's probably one of the better games of the day. Um, Name-wise, pretty, these are two, like, just, like, impressive names. So, Washington, you have a strong defensive lineman. Tuli, Latui Nasanoa, which is just like a, you're like, oh, that guy's definitely, like, Simone, like, only from California. But, like, the name still slaps regardless. And then Oregon, which this name is just – if it's not nationally known already, it should be with how well he played last year and this year well. But Kayvon Thibodeau, which I feel mm. like Thibodeau is a last name. It's just – and it's spelled with an X, which is even funnier right. that, like, somehow LSU did not He should that. have gone to LSU. I have <laughs> always thought that. How did this kid not end up at LSU? He would have been – I mean, he'll be a legend at Oregon, but he would have been such a legend. And the thing is, he almost went to Alabama. Yeah, which would have been makes no I mean, sense. probably even more of a even more of a curse than going to Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. Don't yeah, understand yeah, so, his decision making. The names are pretty evenly matched here. I'm gonna go with Oregon just because I think they're a better team. Um but yeah, I'm gonna say the game does happen and uh, Oregon wins. Yeah. I I so we have the same one for almost all of these. So you're pretty much guaranteed to lose. Um <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so no, moving. No, no, no. I picked. I picked. Uh, you picked Iowa, right? Yeah, I'm yeah, just so saying. I like Wisconsin there, and then I picked Miami. Yeah, so that's true. That's two true. Different. Two, two. Yeah. Well, I'm up four. So, yikes. Ooh, okay. Well, I guess I'm gonna. I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna retroactively say that <laughs> the. <laughs> hey, we got another. Uh, we'll do picks next week too. If if so, you, you could just right. you know, it's, chip it's away. Slow, it's a slow game for me. Chip away. Yeah, I don't I don't want to mess you up here. Um, okay, <laughs> extra point, Mizzou at number eight UGA, which is crazy. If we had an eighteen playoff, we'd be in business. Um, Mizzou at number eight UGA. So this is a kind of a fun one to me because we made these picks like I don't know three weeks ago, four weeks ago, <laughs> and my score prediction, like looking back, I made a pick for this week and it's forty five to seventeen. A couple weeks back, I made a score prediction, and I'm pretty sure it was like 24 to seven or 24 to three or something like that. Um, so yeah. it shows like how much at least the optics of Georgia have changed with JT Daniels at quarterback. Um, also with <laughs> Richard LeCount uh, out on defense, or, or he might be back, but we'll see what happens. Um, but the optics have certainly changed, and uh, yeah, I. I like that because you look at we're hearing murmurs of Eric Gilbert potentially transferring um, and we're getting close to national signing day here and the, the belief that Georgia is going to become a downfield passing team is really, really good for us. Like if Eric Gilbert comes to Georgia, I will say, I don't think that would have happened if JT hadn't come on and lit it up his first game. Um, So we've kind of, it's like after that Florida game, we were really searching for purpose this season and trying to figure out like, do these games really matter? Um, Cause it seems like once George is eliminated from a national championship, then 
it's just all about next year, which it is in a sense. Uh, but this year's performances like can draw guys like Eric Gilbert and, and some of these guys that they're trying to recruit to UGA with the belief that, man, Todd Munkin can do it once he has his guys. We're already starting to see that, and now we just need more of his guys. So it's it's exciting to me. And, yeah, I'm picking another 40-plus game for UGA, and I am saying the game does happen. I honestly, like... <laughs> It's, it's getting a little frustrating with having games canceled, and I'm just like, I can't take another one. I don't know if Dog Nation can. I don't know if these players can. We've got to have this one. It's just got to happen. Yeah, I think I mean, everything you said is spot on with just, you know, as UGA fans watching the rest of the season, you have that, you know, mid-season crisis that we get every year where it's like, what does Georgia football even mean anymore? And then you see, like, a promising quarterback step into the system and do well. And next thing you know, it's like, I mean, people want to play in Athens and, you know, recruits want to be a part of this team and a part of the program. Um, and so it's definitely a lot more fun to to watch the games when, you know, it's not just about winning and losing. Like, obviously, we, you know, we're supposed to beat teams like Vanderbilt and teams like Missouri, but more so it's like we're watching this fully knowing, like, this is really building something for, you know, the future. And it's, yeah, it's easy to look at like, like a UGA fan and always be like, "Well, next year." But it's like normally we're saying that with like a we have pretty much the best thing possible right now, and then it's still next year. I think this season we can definitely look at our our roster and our our guys and be like, "We're going to have something even better next year." Um, like you know, recruiting aside, just with the guys that are returning. So I'm with you um, on all that. I think I think this game does happen. I don't. I, I'm with you. I don't know if the UGA fan base can go another. It's like tough when we've seen, you know, fun, exciting offense. Cause now it's like, we just want more of it. And then because of COVID we're like being stripped of that. <laughs> so yeah. All yeah. The UGA fans are like, wait, like teams like Pac-12 and big 12 teams. You can see this every week. And like, we got to see it for two weeks and now it's gone. Yeah. Um, now it's getting taken from us. So, yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to say UGA wins. Um, I'm going to go 42 to 14. Um, okay. I think Connor Bazelak at Missouri, like obviously he's a retro freshman. He's gonna like end up being a pretty solid guy for them. Yeah. Um, and then with our our secondary, you know, being a little bit thin and just kind of having the struggles they've had this season, I think they'll give up a couple scores. But I think we're in control the whole game. And I think it's another game where we get an early enough lead to where everyone can relax and just enjoy, you know, watching the offense start to take more and more as the as they heat up. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited for this game and just excited to watch the dogs play again. Yeah, kind of stepping back a little bit and looking at the Georgia fan base um, in the last couple of years, it's <laughs> it's like we lose like last year, for example, when we lost to LSU. Like if you went on the dog vent on ugasports.com slash rivals, um, not slash rivals, like as part of the URL, but on, on UGA's rival site uh, and read some of the things fans were saying as far as how far away Georgia was from really being there. It was like doomsday, like the doomsday dogs are out in full force. Same as this year after the Florida, Florida loss. Um, and some people after the Alabama loss, but mostly after the Florida loss, as soon as Georgia's eliminated, that's when the doomsday dogs come out in full force and uh, pretty much say it's you know it's never going to happen under Kirby. But almost every year, it's like come signing day, we get some guys, or we get last year, we get Jamie Newman in the transfer portal, and it's like, oh, this is the missing piece. Now, <laughs> now who's going to stop us? And I'm already seeing the like, 
lists of like, wow, imagine JT Daniels with, you know, this list of receivers plus, you know, potentially Eric Gilbert and these recruits coming in and like George is going to be unstoppable in 2021. So it's kind of a cycle. Um, I love it. Like I love getting excited about, <laughs> about next year. Um, it's just like, it, it gets a little old when you do it to yourself over and over again and you feel like it <laughs> keeps going back to next year. Um, but for real, <laughs> Georgia, it does feel like has a chance to do something special next year offensively if they're able to continue having success uh, these last two games and in their bowl game, assuming we have bowl games this year. So, yeah, fun times. I feel like JT really like reignited this fan base Gave us some new life and new energy, um, and it is exciting. And hopefully we'll have a Mizzou game and a Vanderbilt game to to see that. Um, but if not, at least nobody's getting hurt. <laughs> we, I mean, at this point in the season, it's like what happened to Rosamie and um, Blaylock earlier, you know, before the season or whatnot. It's like we, we don't really need any of that. It's not worth it. So uh, yeah. that's kind of my, like, when games get canceled, I'm like, well, at least – uh, <laughs> at least we're healthy somewhat uh, but anyway Corey appreciate you joining us this week we'll do one more uh, next week and, and see if you can complete the comeback on the pick six and extra point segments listeners appreciate y'all listening we'll have another best of episode dropping next week um, stay tuned follow us on twitter at savage pads instagram at savage pads facebook.com slash savage pads podcast i think i don't know it's just type in savage pads but uh <laughs> appreciate y'all listening and go dogs